I've been attending UBC for a little over four years now as the Make Them Known initiative is, was started over just a little over a couple years ago now. We were challenged to evaluate our giving and the amounts that we gave and were we giving sacrificially. So as we did that, the Lord laid uh, an amount on our hearts and we committed to that. And over the last couple of years, we've had opportunity to um, thankfully, uh, by God's grace, to meet those amounts. God has graciously provided that to us. And during that time, I would say that God has grown us and he has challenged us. We have received many unexpected expenses during the last couple of years. In particular, those were for us were medical bills, challenging us to evaluate, do we continue to give what we had committed to the church? And we thought we had an amount that stretched us, but God challenged us to stretch us a little bit more. And we have grown in our depth of faith and trust in Him. And in that, uh, I would say that our hearts have been repositioned to love Him at even a greater and deeper level. And that repositioning of our hearts helped us understand what we need and what we want. Understanding greater what our need is, that our need is Christ, and that Christ is going to fulfill all that we need. I believe that scripture challenges us to give sacrificially. When we come to Christ, we see him as savior. We also need to see him as Lord of our lives. And, and so giving, is an opportunity that we have to give back all that he has given to us. It's, a, it's an incredible blessing that we have, the opportunity that we have to show where our heart is to Christ. So as we think about this initiative wrapping up, we need to finish strong. Because at the end of this initiative, the mission of the church doesn't end, it continues. And so to finish strong, and even then to reevaluate how much further can you take your giving, and support of the mission of the church. You guys didn't know Santa Claus was going to be making a special guest appearance today, huh? This is perfect, right? I mean, the beard, the, the sweater, the glasses, I love it. I love Dave. I'm so grateful for uh, Dave and for all of you who have continued to um, support the mission and vision that the Lord has given our church through the Make Him Known initiative. I hope that uh, if you find God stretching your faith the way that um, Dave described, I hope that you also experience that repositioning of your heart to uh, even love him at a deeper level and trust him more. So with Finish Strong Sunday coming up, you guys have heard me talk about this for the past couple weeks. Uh, once again, I just wanted to give a quick little financial update for us before we jump into today's sermon. Um, I want to just tackle five questions that pertain to church finances and where things stand and just kind of give some public updates about that. So first question I want to answer today is what have we seen God do? Um, guys, all the way back in 2021, we asked the church to commit $4.5 million. That was our prayer goal. The church committed $5.1 million uh, to give toward the Make Him Known initiative. Uh, 5.1 million was collected by the middle of July, and here we are now, as of the end of last Sunday, we have exceeded the 5.7 million dollars um, that has been provided to us by you and through the Lord through you. And so, in that process, 810 total donors have given to our project 
436 of them are brand new givers to the ministry at UBC. Now that's worth celebrating, but before you do it, I know that Baptists are a little bit, you know, uh, nervous about celebrating. So I had something happen this past week where I was like, okay, uh, I, got, I have like the perfect Baptist cheer for us. Uh, at CrossFit where I go, our co- CrossFit coach named um, Patrick, he taught us this thing called the stomp clap. Right? And when he did it, I was like, this is so simple. Even the Baptist can do it. Right? It's called the stomp clap because you just do two things, stomp and clap at the same time. Right? So we're going to practice the stomp clap as we reflect on God's goodness to us. On the count of three, I want everybody to stomp clap with me. One, two, three. All right. Now, pretty easy, right? All right. Baptist, you guys got it down pretty good. Okay. I need you guys to settle down. You're going to get an excessive celebration penalty. You better watch out. Okay. Um, we have a lot to praise the Lord for uh, in our church, and um, as we praise the Lord for, for all of this, you know, I, uh, I'm excited about coming up to the end of our Finish Strong um, Offering Sunday. Uh, as you guys know, as I've talked about for the past several weeks, we, um, we're going to take $25, 25 cents of every dollar that's given, and we're going to give it straight to the mercy, the mercy Ministries that we've been highlighting for the past few weeks. We're going to take 75 cents of every dollar, and we're going to use it to pay down our church loan uh, that we took when we built our new facility here. So that has begged a question from several of you. Several of you have asked, okay, well, what is the status on the church building and the church loan? I just wanted to take a minute and update you on that. So second question, what is the status? Um, Well, as you guys have seen, like a lot of progress has been made as we've moved into the building this year. We've remodeled several parts of our building. We essentially have three more things to do uh, to complete our work in the building. We need to finish installing our church-wide security system, which should be done here in the next couple weeks. We need to complete our project uh, of building on the lobby over at UBC East. That'll probably be done by sometime in December. Uh, And then um, we have to continue to to finish out the exterior blending of all the buildings, which I think is starting to look really good as the whole campus is starting to come together and look really nice. So I praise the Lord for all of that. I, uh, guys, I remember, I'm, I'm excited about it because I remember back in like 2019, 2020, when all of this was just like in the dreaming stage, right? It was just kind of like, what's, what's going on here? And, and eventually, like the, the ideas went down on paper and the church bought in. There has been so much to celebrate. God is worthy of all the glory. And I'm thankful for you. And I'm thankful for the progress that's been made in our church. So that calls for yet another stomp clap. Ready? One, two, three. All right, there we go. We're going to get in the habit of this, right? This is like easy clapping for Baptists. Okay, I'll be done with the Baptist insults now. All right, so what we've got going on with the building is uh, we've built all this, lots of changes along the way, Um, changes not just in the layout of the building and the way that the remodeling process worked, but also changes in the financial expectations. Um, You guys might remember when we first launched this campaign, we said, hey, we think it's probably going to cost about $5.2 million to do the addition and the renovations that we need. It ended up costing us, it will probably, when it's all done, be close to 6.9 or maybe 7 million. And so uh, if you remember all of the inflation rates that hiked up after COVID and during COVID and all of that, all majorly tied in. Plus we had some aspects of the project that we needed to figure out how we were going to plan for that we had not anticipated. So that's kind of the actual cost that we're looking at. So how has this been funded? Um, The way that we've funded this $7 million so far is that we have paid $2.75 million in cash. Thank you again for all the giving that you've given towards that end. Uh, we took out a $4.25 million loan 
in order to complete everything. We're not going to use all of that $4.25 million loan, it doesn't look like. But what, we are, um, what we're doing is we're in a good position now to be able to uh, pay back and reduce that loan in a significant way. But that's where we stand with the loan. So that leads to the next question. Question three, what is our goal to pay down the loan? Our goal is to be debt-free by January of 2027. Now, that's a, to me, that's a wild goal. We're, we have a $4.25 million loan. We're going to pay it off in essentially three years till we get to 2027. Like Dave was saying in his video, like, man, that's a stretch of our faith that we believe the Lord is calling us to. But I believe that the faster we can pay down that loan, the faster we have cash flow freed up to be able to do other types of ministry uh, uh, that the Lord calls us to do. So we're going to aggressively pay it off. Um, that's our hope. Uh, so what is the plan? If we go to question four, we need to have a plan to pay that down. We would like to reduce this loan down to $3 million by January of 2024. So that's like six weeks away to try to get that loan brought down uh, uh, by $1.25 million down to $3 million or less. Then if we just pay a million off for three years straight, we'll be debt-free by January of 2027. So that's the plan. Um, so what are we asking of you? That's the fifth question. What are we asking of you? We are asking you to commit this to prayer to the Lord and just saying, Lord, what would you have me do? How can I give? How can I be involved? Uh, however the Lord calls you to generously give, we ask you to participate in that finished strong offering coming up on December 3rd. Um, like I mentioned last week, we have still about $500,000 uh, from people who made commitments back in 2021 who haven't yet fulfilled their commitment. Rachel and I are in that camp with everybody else. We haven't yet fulfilled ours. So we're working right now to make plans on how we can finish out our commitment. If you uh, haven't yet fulfilled your commitment and you are still able to by God's grace, then we ask you to take a step to do that. Um, if you don't know what your commitment was or where your status is, you can always do two things to get the answers on where your commitment giving stands. You can download an app for your phone called the Church Center app. You just download that on your phone, Church Center. Once you set up your profile, all of your giving information can be accessed through your profile. If you'd rather not go through all that, then that's fine. You can just email our church financial secretary, and uh, the email address for her is giving at ubcbeavercreek.com, giving at ubcbeavercreek.com, and uh, she can give you um, the information that you request. So I think that if we all jump in and follow the Lord's lead, we can put a massive dent in our church mortgage uh, on that by the end of the year. I think that we can be a major blessing to the mercy ministries in our area uh, and give them a nice generous offering before the end of the year. Uh, so what I'm asking you to do, pray, follow the Lord's leading, give as he calls you to give on our Finish Strong Offering Sunday. Uh, because like we've been saying all along, we want 100% of us doing 100% of whatever the Lord calls us to do. And when we do that, we'll be all right. Now, that financial update being covered, uh, let me just say this. If you're new with us today, if you're first time here, I want to say two things to you. The first one is, if you're new with us, know this. We don't give financial updates like this every Sunday, okay? Uh, we don't spend this much time covering it. The reason why we're doing it, the second thing you need to know, is that we have been in a two-year uh, financial initiative, vision initiative as a church called Make Him Known. And we're now coming to the conclusion of that campaign, and it's the time for me to give the church the update. So I wanted you guys to know that. But part of what we've been doing in the Make Him Known initiative is we have been calling the church to re-engage 
in the mission uh, that Jesus gave his church to make disciples. We have asked the church to commit to making Christ known here in, the, uh, in and among the people of our church, to making Christ known near among the people in our community who aren't yet connected to our church, and to make Christ known everywhere, everywhere where, where people do not yet know Jesus, to get involved in that ministry. We've asked the people of our church to, to connect and to serve and to give like never before, and it's been awesome to see what the Lord has done and allowed us to remodel this, our, our old buildings, to build this new building, to be able to launch new ministries for people to connect, uh, to be able to double our missions giving to efforts around the world. It's been a joy. And so we are coming to the end of our Make Him Known initiative. And as we come to the end of this initiative, we are concluding it with a sermon series called Mercy. right, so in this sermon series called Mercy, what we're doing now is we're calling the church to make Christ known mercifully. That we, we want to make him known to the people who are the most vulnerable among us, the people who need the compassionate care of Christ. Each week in this sermon series called Mercy, we have been emphasizing certain types of people that scripture calls us to care for, that we sense the Lord leading us to, to place an emphasis on. And so we've been highlighting those groups of people in our world each week, and we've been highlighting a ministry uh, that we are supportive of as well. And so we're going to continue that on today. So this is week four in this series. We've, to, you know, today we're going to be emphasizing our, our emphasis, uh, our, our call to care for the poor. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. In previous weeks, we've talked about the responsibility to care for the preborn. We've talked about our call to care for the persecuted church. Last Sunday, Rob Slothman uh, gave us a great message about our call for caring for widows and orphans, which by the way, I just thought Rob did a great job in not just preaching the word, but I love that we have a youth pastor who lives in such a way that his life is exemplary to the young people in our church, that he doesn't just preach, he practices what he preaches. And I love that, uh, that he's the one who's, who's God has called to lead our students, which by the way, they're on their way back from a, a retreat right now. So in the middle of the service, we might have a bunch of teenagers walk into this uh, service right here. So they should be coming back any minute. But this week, our call is to remember the poor. Um, before we jump into today's topic, I do want to give some definition to the term. When I talk about the poor today, it is important for us to know what exactly I'm talking about because it can kind of be a confusing, foggy, unclear term at times. So today, when I talk about the poor, I'm talking about people who live near us and live below the American poverty threshold. Okay, so that's what I mean today. Just to give some further definition to that, Healthcare.gov is, um, you know, kind of responsible for reporting the, um, the American threshold standards for, for this type of uh, poverty level in our country. And here's just what they say. To live below the poverty line, here's what it is. For an individual, it means that you need to make less than $14,580 per year, right? That's for an individual. That's what qualifies you to, to be considered living in poverty. For a family of two, you make less than $19,720 a year. For a family of three, $24,860. For a family of four, $30,000 a year or less. And then you just add $5,140 for each additional person in your family after that. Now that's the American kind of standard that qualifies someone for the poverty level. And so when I talk about the poor today, that's what I mean. 
It brings us some clarity to the definition. We don't have to wonder what we're talking about. Um, in other words, when, I, when I'm talking about the poor today, I am not talking about people who live in other parts of the world where they experience poverty, in many cases, far worse than we have it here in America. I'm not talking specifically today about third world countries and Appalachia type living situations. I'm talking about people who live below the poverty line in general. Um, I'm also today not talking about people who think they're poor, but they're really just house poor or car poor because they don't manage their funds well and they just go in debt. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about college students who think they're poor, but then they get to go sleep in a nice cozy bed and go to the cafeteria three days, three times a day. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about people who live a comfortable life and uh, just refer to themselves as being broke. And what they mean is they can't go on excessive vacations. Okay. I'm not talking about that. We are talking about people who live below the poverty line and people near us who do that. So as we talk about the poor today, I want to walk through this message in three parts. I want to first talk about why this topic matters. Second, I want to talk about what the Bible has to say about it. Third, how we can respond. And after we get through those three things, we're going to have a time where we highlight our mercy ministry for the week, which is an organization called Bridges of Hope. And after we highlight them, we're going to have a time of prayer and a closing song. All right. So that being said, let's jump into the message. Why does this topic matter? Let's talk about this first. Why the issue matters. First reason is because our area has people who are poor. Our area has people who are poor. Just to give you some local statistics, right? Start with kind of the state of Ohio and then move in closer to our city. These are the statistics provided to us by the uh, state of Ohio poverty report that was put out in 2023. It comes from the Ohio Association of Community Action Agencies. The state of Ohio has 13.3% uh, poverty rate, about 1.5 million people considered living in poverty. Montgomery County here, Dayton area, 15.2% uh, poverty rate. Greene County, 10.3% poverty rate. And even here in Beaver Creek, 7.2% poverty rate. Over 3,000 people in our city considered to be living in poverty. Now, one thing that's interesting about these statistics is that they just represent residents of Ohio, like people who have residency, right? They don't count many of the people in the homeless population, many people who are living on the streets who don't have an address, right? They're, they're kind of sojourning and traveling through our state. Some, they don't count the people who, uh, many of whom um, are homeless that are suffering from mental illness, who don't even have the capacity to track that type of thing for themselves. So these are people that are poor that are kind of trackable residents in our state. So 7.2% here in Beaver Creek. I don't know about you, but that really surprises me. Um, and here's why it surprises me. It's because Beaver Creek is the second wealthiest city in the greater Dayton area. For the past several years, Beaver Creek was actually the most wealthy city. This past year, uh, Springboro actually um, surpassed Beaver Creek. But this year, Beaver Creek has become recognized as the wealthiest city in or the, the second wealthiest city in the greater Dayton area. So because of that, it's hard for me to imagine people in Beaver Creek living below the poverty level. Well, first of all, that speaks to my own ignorance. It, because I, it shows that I don't necessarily run around with or get exposed to the reality of life that many people, even right here in our city, are living in. You know? Um, yet this is the reality of our city. And 
On top of that, our sovereign God has placed University Baptist Church right here in the city because I believe God wants to use our church and his church in the, in the greater area of Beaver Creek to be able to make an impact among those who are truly poor. It's part of why God has us here. Because there are poor people in our area who need help. Second reason why this matters. It's not just because our area has people who are poor. It's because our God has a heart for the poor. We're talking about this today because our God has a heart for the poor. Guys, there are like 2,000 verses in Scripture that speak to, our, to the poor and the needy. Good news for you guys is I'm only going to preach on half of them today. All right, so we'll make it through. But 2,000 verses reflecting God's heart for the poor and for the needy. Just to give you a handful of these from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Even starting all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus when God was giving the Mosaic law, part of the law that he gave his people in Exodus 23 was to do not deny justice to the poor and to let the poor harvest in your fields. We learned a little bit about that harvesting and gleaning in the fields concept as we studied the book of Ruth uh, a month or so ago. Um, in the book of Deuteronomy, again, in the earliest days of God establishing the law for his people, God tells them in Deuteronomy 15, verse 7 through 10, there will never cease to be poor in the land. So open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. So God wants his people to have open hands and open hearts to the poor. Psalm 41, verse 1, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord will deliver him. Proverbs 14, verse 31, whoever presses the poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 22, verse 2, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. And I like how Proverbs kind of emphasizes God being the maker of both the rich man and the poor man. Because I, I think um, that we need to remember and the world needs to hear that there's not like gradations of people who are made in God's image. All people, men and women, rich and poor, made in God's image, therefore have dignity, value, and worth no matter where their socioeconomic status is. And we need to be the voice that shares that because we don't want to let the lie of the enemy um, sink into the minds of our culture that says, you know what? God doesn't care about poor people. No. Rich and poor made in God's image. We preach that message. Everybody having dignity, value, and worth. The emphasis of the Old Testament is that God has a heart for the poor. Same thing being emphasized all through the New Testament. Again, I'm just selecting handfuls of scripture here, but when Jesus himself came on the scene and preached his first sermon, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus' opening line of his first sermon says that the Lord has appointed for me to preach good news to the poor. It's on the heart of Christ from the beginning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 42 Jesus tells his disciples to give to the one who begs from you and don't refuse those who need to borrow from you. Teaching of Jesus. You know, right before Jesus went to the cross, one of the last teaching, teachings that he gave his disciples, that he gave the crowds before he went to the cross was his teaching from Matthew chapter 25, where he's talking about on judgment day. And in the end, you know, God's gonna separate sheep from goats and all of that. But what he teaches in Matthew 25 is that in the end, some will stand before the Lord and, and Jesus says, you know, when you, when you 
gave a, a cold cup of water to the thirsty, or when you clothed the naked, or when you fed me when I was hungry, when you visited uh, people when they were in prison. Jesus says, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So this is, the heart for the poor is reflected in the, in the life and the teaching of Jesus. We see it emphasized in the ministry of the apostles through the rest of the New Testament. James chapter 2 makes it very clear that the church ought not show partiality to the rich. James 2 says that the church uh, shouldn't just love with words, but with action, right? That we, that we don't just kind of meet somebody who's struggling and say, be warm and be well-fed, uh, but then do nothing about it. That's not what we do. We actually let our love take action, right? Love, what does Jesus, or what does the scripture tell us in, in James 2? That faith without works is a dead faith. And if we want to have living faith, then we need to have practice of faith that takes action. Again, 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 Anyone who has the world's goods sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How can you say God's love abides in him? God's love is the type of love that cares for people in need. And so if we find ourselves in a position and a status and a practice in our life where our heart is perpetually closing and hardening and callousing toward the poor, uh, we are going the opposite direction of God's heart. But the enemy would love for us to close our hearts toward the poor. He wants us to get that jaded, calloused, cold-hearted view. He wants us to immediately assume that every person panhandling or asking for help is an addict or one who refuses to work or in some other way trying to take advantage of us. Like, The enemy wants our hearts to default there because if we get in the practice of defaulting there, we will not be in the practice of defaulting to help. Right? God wants our hearts to go where his heart goes. And his heart is for the poor. That's the second reason why mercy for the poor matters. But we're not just talking about why this subject matters. We're also talking about what the Bible has to say about it. And I just rattled off a whole bunch of Bible verses to you. And like I said, there's like a thousand, maybe 2,000 more, right? That where the scripture talks about people who are poor and needy. But today I just want to focus on one verse. Super simple verse. Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. If you have your Bible, that's where I'm going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to put it up on the screen. But when we're thinking about the book of Galatians, we need to remember the context of what's going on. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to these churches in the region called Galatia. He has already been to these churches before, and now he's away from them, and he's writing a letter to them. And in these churches that he's writing to are people who, from Jewish and Gentile backgrounds who have come to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, and now they've come together as a church. They've believed the true gospel, that salvation is not by works, but it is by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And Paul preached that gospel to them. They believed it. But after Paul had left, false teachers came in and tried to discredit Paul's message. They tried to discredit Paul himself. And so now Paul is away from these churches in Galatia. He's writing them and he's saying, no, uh, you can believe my message and you can consider me a trustworthy messenger. And he's giving them reasons why. And One of the reasons why is because he said, before I ever came to you, Galatians, uh, remember that 
the pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John in Jerusalem, they approved of me as an apostle. They gave me the right hand of Christian fellowship. They sent me out on the mission of God. They, they vouched for me. They were able to uh, commend me to you as a church. But then he says this. He says, but before they sent me off, these pillars of the church asked me not to forget one thing. And here's what he writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. That's our one verse for today. Remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. I just want to share two thoughts with you from this one verse. Two thoughts. The first one is that God wants us to remember the poor continually. God wants us to remember the poor continually. Verse 10 there says that Paul was told to remember the poor. In the original Greek language, that word remember is kind of like an ongoing, continual action. So when these guys told Paul, remember the poor, what they meant was keep on remembering us. Don't forget about us. Come back to us. Remember, don't, don't forget, right? So what was going on in Jerusalem was that, um, remember, Paul came to visit Peter, James, and John. They were in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been under attack by, by the Jews. They were impoverished. They were being persecuted, and there was a famine in the land. So Paul had went around to all these other churches collecting an offering of relief, and he came and he brought it to Peter, James, and John for the church in Jerusalem. And uh, they said, you know, Paul, this means so much to us. Now we're sending you out, but when you leave, don't forget about the poor. Keep doing for the poor what you've done for us. And so the call for Paul was to remember the poor. And he, if you studied the life and ministry of the apostle Paul, that you know that he, he did care for the poor. And he continually had them on his mind. He thought about them because his eyes um, were open and his heart was opened to the reality of poverty. Uh, I don't know about you, um, but I hope that your heart is open to the reality of poverty in our world. Um, I grew up in Flint, Michigan, which is uh, kind of a very poor city now. Um, not quite as impoverished back when I was growing up as it is now, but you know, lower middle class family. We lived in a city with, um, in the part of the city that was very poor. Uh, my parents did an, a wonderful job of exemplifying to me and my brother what it meant to care for our neighbors and the people around us who were poor. So I kind of grew up and went to college and all of that thinking like, okay, I've been exposed to poverty and I, I'm not naive of what poverty looks like in America. But then in 2003, I went on my first mission trip ever and I went to a, a truly impoverished part of the world in Mexico. And we went to help out a ministry that was uh, taking care of people in Mexico. And I remember being on that mission trip and being really struck in my heart when um, I went outside at one point and I was looking at the kids that this ministry was taking care of. And these kids were outside playing, but they're not playing with video games. They're not playing with soccer balls and sports equipment. The thing that they had to play with were the bones of dead animals. And that's what they had. And that's what they played with. Now that made an impact on me. Because I was about to come back to America where, you know, we could choose to spend four or five bucks on a Starbucks latte. And yet I had just been exposed to that poverty. That, I would say that's when the Lord really started to truly open up my heart more. 
uh, toward the poor. I wonder if you've had a moment like that where your heart had been open. For me, ever since then, it's, it's, it's made me happy when I've seen the church take steps to care for the poor. I like seeing our church take steps to care for the poor. I like that we have all these boxes in front of us today that are going to be distributed to poor people around the world, to poor children. I literally just had a conversation a few days ago with a friend of mine who is from Africa who said that uh, her exposure to the gospel and the discipleship that ended up happening in her life started when some Christians came to her village delivering Samaritans' uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes. And that's where it started. Now she's married to a missionary, and they're, uh, you know, um, the man that she's married to is a pastor right in there. They're part of Namibia, Africa. It's awesome to hear. I love seeing our church do things like this. I love seeing, uh, you know, our senior adult ministry pack, um, pack up food packages for Feed the Creek that takes care of the impoverished people right here in our own city. I love seeing our young adults. I just saw that our young adult ministry just has an event signed up to go serve at Target Dayton Ministries in downtown Dayton. I, I love that I see dads in our church that are taking their kids to serve at food pantries. I love that we have families in our church that not just help strangers that they meet on the side of the road, but then invite them to come to church and bring them. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to see these things happen among the people in our church. Because the call for the church is to remember the poor continually. And I hope we live that out. The second thing I want you to see from Galatians 2.10 is that God doesn't just want us to remember the poor continually. God wants us to remember the poor eagerly. Uh, that word, you know, eager. Paul says, uh, I was called to remember the church, which I was eager to do. To be eager to do something means to... Um, Take the personal initiative to do something quickly, right? You're eager to do it. You don't, you don't delay. You're not hesitating. You're not just kind of, uh, you know, kind of pushing things back and kind of trying to hold off, but you're, you're ready to go, right? And so there's this eagerness that grows inside the heart of the Christian when we have an opportunity to help the poor. And here's what I want you to see. This eagerness to help the poor is really, um, by God's grace, it's a, it's a gospel-produced eagerness to help the poor. Why would a Christian really have a heart for the poor? Why would a Christian be eager to help the poor? Here's why. It's because the gospel is what gives us a connection with the poor. Um, many of us don't have a physical or personal connection with the poor. Many of us aren't poor. Many, most of us have never been poor. Most of us uh, really probably don't know that many poor people below the poverty line in our lives certainly most of us have never wondered where we were going to sleep at night or where our next meal was going to come from. We, you know, most of us never give a second thought to whether or not we're going to have heat in our homes in the winter or AC in our homes in the summer. Like most of us don't have this kind of personal, physical connection to the poor. Some of us do, but most of us don't. But for those of us who are born again, there is a type of poverty that we do understand. There is a type of poverty that we understand, and that's this, that apart from Christ, we have been spiritually impoverished before the Lord. We are spiritually bankrupt before God when it comes to our spiritual condition apart from Christ. But praise be to God that he gave us Jesus who has blessed us with every, an abundance of spiritual riches. 
When we become saved, spiritually speaking, we, we move from like being spiritually impoverished to being spiritually rich. I love what uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says about Christ and about us. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I want you to think about that, right? Before Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world, like he wasn't poor in heaven, right? He became poor when he came to earth. He, he left heaven and came here. He left heaven's perfection and came right into the brokenness of humanity. And he was born to a poor family who were like sojourners traveling, figuring out where they're going to live, right? He, he lived uh, without a home at times. Like the scripture says, the son of man has no place to lay his head. He died like a, a, like a broken criminal rather than a glorious king. And he did so. Why? Why did he do that? For our sake. He became poor so that by his poverty, we might become rich. So do not misinterpret that verse to say, oh, if you, if you trust in Jesus, then you're going to have health, wealth, and prosperity in your life. That is not the promise. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you may have to take up your cross, right? You may have to die to yourself. You're going to have to suffer for my sake. So the, the whole idea of health, wealth, and prosperity that comes with believing in Jesus is a lie. We ought not to believe it. But here's what is the truth. The truth is that when we come to follow Jesus, we may not have any sort of material or physical blessings in this world, but we have been, been blessed with an abundance of spiritual and eternal riches in Christ. Jesus has come and he's given us the gospel. And when God opens up our eyes and gives us faith in the gospel, then he not only gives us an awareness of our spiritual poverty, but he also gives us an awareness of our spiritual riches in Christ. And when you have been rescued from the greater problem of spiritual poverty, then you will gladly remember the people with the lesser problem of physical poverty. The God, that's how the gospel connects us to the poor and makes us eager to help those who are in need. So we've talked today about why the subject of the poor matters. We've talked about what the Bible has to say about it. Let's talk now about how we can get involved. How can we respond? I just want to share four thoughts with you today. These are just things to consider from me. They're not the only thoughts. They're not the only actions you can take. But here are four things to consider. First way to respond, and this is probably the most important. Would you be so bold as to ask God to give you the heart of Jesus for the poor? to give you the heart of Jesus for the poor. I know that we can all get skeptical toward the poor. We can see the panhandler default to skepticism. I know that we can try to justify our position and assume things about people that make us feel better about keeping our resources to ourselves and not being inconvenienced. And I'll, I'll, be, I'll readily admit that the Bible actually teaches us to have a certain level of discernment when it comes to caring for uh, people who are in need. So we do need to practice biblical wisdom. But I will say this. I can't imagine Jesus on Judgment Day looking at any of us saying, hey, good job being financially shrewd. 
I, I believe that he wants to see that we share his heart for the poor. So let's not just close our hearts. Let's pray for the heart of Jesus when it comes to working with the poor. A Scottish preacher from the 1800s um, named Robert Murray McShane, he wrote a lot and lived a life that demonstrated care for the poor. And one day he was preaching to his congregation and he wrote to them about God's heart for the poor. And here's what he says. He says, Now, dear Christians, some of you pray night and day to be branches of the true vine. You pray to be made all over in the image of Christ. If so, you must be like him in giving. Objection number one, my money is my own. Answer, Christ might have said, my blood is my own. My life is my own. Then where should we have been? Objection number two, the poor are undeserving. Answer, Christ might have said, they are wicked rebels. Shall I lay down my life for these? I will give it to the good angels. But no, he left the 99 and came after the lost. He gave his blood for the undeserving. Objection number three, but the poor may abuse it. Answer, Christ might have said the same, yea, with far greater truth. Christ knew that thousands would trample his blood under their feet, that most would despise it, that many would make an excuse for sinning more, yet he gave his own blood. Oh, dear Christians, if you would be like Christ, give much more, give often, give freely to the vile and the poor, the thankless and the undeserving. Church family, let's start with asking God to give us the heart of Jesus for the poor. Second way that we can respond that I would suggest to you is to set aside a part of your budget to help serve the poor, the needy. Of course, uh, this action item assumes you actually have a budget, which I hope you do. Um, in all seriousness, I know we kind of joke about that sometimes, but as we've taught from our stage here through the years, all of our resources are God's resources. God has entrusted us to be stewards of them. Our money is not really our money. It's God's money that we are entrusted to manage for his glory. And I don't know how we can manage and steward God's money if we don't have a plan. So I would encourage everybody in this room to have a stewardship plan that we call a budget. And in your budget, I hope you have a spot in your budget for giving back to the Lord. One piece of advice that we were given early on in our marriage was that within the giving line of our budget to break it down into three categories, giving back to your local church, giving to support missions and missions organizations. And the third one was separate a second a separate part of your budget to save money for people in need. And over time, month by month, Rachel and I just let that money build up in a separate savings account. And then when somebody comes into our life that has a need, we're able to enjoy the blessing of being part of helping them out. And maybe it's just a practical step that could help you as well. I encourage you to set aside a part of your budget to helping the poor. Third, prioritize who you're going to help. Prioritize who you're going to help. Guys, God, uh, God is very aware that none of us live with unlimited resources. And so there's poor and needy people around us everywhere. God knows we can't help every one of them. But the general principle that I would encourage us to take is to do for some what we wish we could do for all. And so when we think about 
Who do we prioritize when we're going to do what we can for some? I don't have time to fully flesh this all out biblically, but I believe that the Bible calls us to prioritize in three categories. When it comes to prioritizing our care for the needy, I believe the Bible calls us first to prioritize our care for the poor who are in our family. I'm thinking of passages from 1 Thessalonians and a man who refuses to care for his own family and to provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever, the scripture says. I'm thinking of 1 Timothy chapter 5 where the widows who are in need were first to be cared for by their family even before they came to the church. Right? So we prioritize the care for uh, the poor and the needy in our family. I would say second priority would be that we give uh, prioritize care for the needy in the church, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm thinking of passages like Galatians 6.10, which tells us to do good to all men, but especially to the household of faith. 1 John when you see your brother or sister in need, how can you close your heart toward them? Right? If you have God's heart for your brother or sister in Christ, you're going to want to do something to help out the poor and the needy uh, who are within the church. So prioritize your family, prioritize the church second, and then I would say everybody else third. If the Lord brings somebody else in your life and you have the means to help them, then help them. It's why we see God commending people all through the Old Testament and New Testament for giving alms to the poor, for uh, being able to stop and help those who are in need all around us. But that's how I would encourage you to prioritize helping some with what you, could wish you, with what you wish you could do for all. And the last response I want to suggest to you today is to consider partnering with a ministry to the poor. Guys, there are ministries, um, plenty of them that are doing good work among the poor. Feed the Creek right here in Beaver Creek does a great job of helping with the poor. Shoes for the Shoeless, great reputation of providing shoes for children who are in need that, uh, that just need pairs of shoes, All right? Target Dayton uh, Ministries downtown, Dayton Gospel Mission, helping the poor and the homeless right in the heart of our city. But the one that we want to highlight today is an organization called Bridges of Hope. And I want to invite a couple guys, Aaron Perry and Dave Bonnell, to make their way forward. Uh, Aaron is a member of our church. He was kind of a key original member of founding the, the vision and the formation of our missions and mercy teams here at UBC. He leads a growth group in Xenia. They've gotten involved in Bridges of Hope. Dave is also one of our deacons. Santa's back, right? We have, we have Santa as a deacon. That's awesome. All right. Uh, he's been involved in Bridges of Hope as well. And I want you to hear from these guys about how um, Bridges of Hope is making an impact in the kingdom. So Aaron, step right up here, guys. Come a little closer so they'll want to get you on camera. Um, so tell, tell everybody today, you know, what Bridges of Hope is. I mean, so many of us probably have never heard of this organization. Maybe some of us have, but what is Bridges of Hope? So Bridges of Hope is an emergency adult shelter located right down the road in Xenia. Uh, they open at 6 p.m. and run until 8 a.m., uh, serving those people that come in. Uh, they've also recently started a day hub during the daytime. This is seven days a week where they minister to the needs of uh, those that come in from the streets to help break the cycle of homelessness through um, outside resources, community, um, mentorship, education, and training, and those things happen during the day at their facility. Awesome. And if, um, again, if I understand it correctly, I believe they are the only homeless shelter in Greene County. That's correct. And um, taking care of that 6-7% of our population, some of which who are below the poverty line and homeless, right? Um, when you look at what Bridges of Hope is doing, um, where do you see God at work? Yeah, one of the things that 
I really appreciate about Bridges of Hope is that they have a strong faith uh, undergirding to what they're doing. So it's not just the physical aspect of the people coming in. They're also holistically looking at the spiritual side of things. So they have chapels. They, they have men and women come in to spend one-on-one -on -one mentorship with the uh, people there to develop their spiritual aspect. They encourage local churches to partner with them and come in and spend time, even during the week, to just come in the doors and spend time with these people, sharing the gospel, training them up, and then sending them out. So yeah, and I was telling the first service that about a year ago, I met a man who goes to our church who personally uh, has mentored another man at, uh, through Bridges of Hope. And I was, just, I was asking him about it, and he was just moved to tears because of how much that relationship has come to mean to him and to be a blessing. So uh, I love that they've got that discipleship side of it as well. Um, when UBC people, if, if the Lord is tugging on their hearts to get involved with Bridges of Hope or to learn more, how can, how can we get involved or learn more about their ministry? Sure. There's kind of four primary ways. First and foremost is prayer. So we can pray over their ministry, over the volunteers, the staff, and even the people coming in to stay there. Prayer is powerful, so we can start there. Other ways is to volunteer for um, just in the center. You can volunteer to be a mentor, to help disciple, even just to care for the people there. You can also give to a specific need. So one of the things that they do is they provide meals. Those meals are provided by the community. And so you can sign up on their website. It's a great resource. All these things are on their website where you can um, go serve a meal to the people that are there. And one of the great things about how they do their ministry is not only can you serve the physical need, but you, when you go, you can sit down with them there and talk with them and share a meal with them and just hear their story. And it's just amazing the things that you hear and the ways that you see God um, intersecting these people's lives. Awesome. So if uh, people want to learn more today or talk with you or some members of our Mercy team, um, we've got people out at the ministry desk right out in the lobby that can talk with you more about Bridges of Hope and how you can be involved. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate that. Um, Dave is going to lead us in a word of prayer to pray for Bridges of Hope and to pray for our church to have God's heart for the poor. Thank you. It's, it's a privilege to be up here to pray. It's a privilege to be in front of you and pray with you. And it's only by God's grace that I'm here. And I just, as we think about Bridges of Hope, I'd just like to encourage you, that idea of sitting down and talking to someone just really humbles you to be able to, to listen to their stories, to understand their backgrounds and how they got to where they ended up because it's only a choice or two away that we could be there as well take time to listen it's important let's pray gracious and heavenly father lord jesus we come to you the author and the finisher of our faith you who created each of us in your image according to your likeness and give you praise for the mighty work of your hands in our lives we thank you for the transforming truths of the gospel and that by your grace you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Yet there are a multitude of people who continue to live in darkness without you and without hope. We thank you for ministries such as Bridges of Hope in Greene County as they seek to give a hand up to those who are struggling with homelessness, joblessness, and poverty. 
We thank you also for our own Fix-It team who ministers to the church by coming alongside of those who are in need of some assistance as challenges arise so they do not become overwhelmed. Through your word, O Lord, we know that the poor will always be among us. Therefore, let us not merely let us not be merely hearers of the word, but rather be doers of your word. May it be that our eyes will not be so blind that we do not see the downtrodden, the weak, and those who appear to be in a state of helplessness. May it be that our ears are not so deaf that we do not listen to the cries of the oppressed and needy, nor listen carefully to our neighbors. Even within our own families, may we be attentive. Lord, you came from heaven to earth to bring the good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim freedom to all who are ensnared by the ways of Satan. May it be that we realize the challenge of loving others well from the comfort of our homes and be so moved to leave our comfort zones, taking action by serving the poor in their time of need. May you fill our hearts with the compassion of the Good Samaritan, that we may pour out our love for others as you have poured out your love toward us. If you are willing, Lord, would you break our hearts for what breaks yours. May it be that, like you, we would look over our city and that our hearts would weep for those who do not know the things that make for peace. Almighty God, you are the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, and you are the Lord of the harvest. Father, we are your workmanship, being created in Christ Jesus for good works which you've prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. As we hear your word, may your spirit stir our hearts to love and good works. We ask that by your mercy and grace that you would awaken us to the needs of those around us and move us to come alongside of them in their time of need so that they might be comforted. Would you raise up laborers to serve in ministries such as Bridges of Hope and the Fix-It Team? We ask that you would give the leaders of such ministries wisdom as they lead. We ask that all they do would be grounded in Christ and bring you glory that you alone are worthy of. Would you give us a sacrificial heart of love so that we might faithfully live out the gospel as reflected in the sacrificial life of Christ Jesus our Lord? We thank you for the bountiful blessings that you have bestowed upon us. We ask this morning that you might reveal to us how to steward them well before a dark and dying world. As we walk along the road of this life, would you, Lord, reveal to us opportunities you have for us and have a willingness to serve according to your leading. Father, we thank you. We love you and we praise you. We lift this up in the precious and the matchless name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen.